my babies, and welcome to Poker in the Ears. I'm Uncle Daddy. I'm Joe Stapleton. He's my work wife, James Hardigan. Happy World Piano Day, Joe, which I always feel is one of the least divisive of instruments. Everyone loves the piano. I do love the piano. It's, um, I, I, I shouldn't say this, but you know, when they ask you in your CAPTCHA, you know, when you're signing into a website and they're like, what's your favorite instrument? Piano. That's fine. Should I not have said that? Should we cut that out? Anyway, uh, also, my parents told me they tried to get me to they, We had a piano in my living room growing up. My parents told me, try to get me to take lessons. And they said, I would regret it when I'm an adult. And guess what? I regret it. Of course you do. Of Coming up do. on today's show, <laughs> the Sunday Million celebrated its birthday this week. Turning 17. That means it's almost an adult. There was an anniversary edition of the tournament over the weekend. Tens of thousands of players, millions in guaranteed prize money. We streamed it. We saw our friend and colleague Nick Walsh make a deep run. And guess what? We'll be speaking to Nick later on in the show. Going to give Nick a bit of a victory lap. Um, although it was 16th place. First place was RFN 1986 from Brazil. Took it down for the full million dollars no deal and we're going to talk about the details of that sunday million anniversary in just a few moments this week's super fan is andre nazar old nazar (laughs) Uh, and he's challenged me to trivia about the movie the founder which i am very qualified to talk about this i am a Huge, huge McDonald's fan. As you know, and James, the first time I went to go work at the World Series of Poker, my local McDonald's went out of business. I think I think that's why. I think I was gone for six weeks. Oh, this is not a gag. Your this local is not McDonald's a gag. literally shut down. There was a McDonald's on the corner. I mean, we're talking Los Angeles. We're talking in Hollywood, California. Wow. I went away for the World Series of Poker for six weeks, and when I came back, my local McDonald's <laughs> had turned into a nursery, like a we've, place where they where they grow plants. We've lost our VIP customer. Yes. Um, before we move on, Joe, I believe we have a PSA. Yeah. Um, obviously, a slight change to the advertise schedule. Yeah, we were, we were hoping to have St- Steve Albini on the show this week. It didn't quite work out for a couple of different reasons. I'm sorry, everyone. Maybe we can get him another time. We had tons of questions, more questions than we had ever gotten crowdsourced yeah. than ever before. And I'm sorry to disappoint all of you, but Steve is not going to be on the show today. Uh, moving on to better things. Um, I saw John Wick 4 over the weekend. Okay, I know everyone's talking about it at the moment. I know yeah. you said you had people tweeting spoilers at you before you didn't have a chance to see the movie on opening weekend. I am seeing it this coming Saturday, so I'm just going to get down on my knees and beg. Can we just hold off for one more week, please? Next week's show, can we talk about John Wick 4? Yes, we can talk about John Wick 4 next week. I'm dying to talk about it. Um, I did want to talk very briefly about a a TV show that I picked up that season three of Ted Lasso came out recently or has started to come out and i don't know if you saw but like even the white house like joe biden put like a ted lasso like believe sign outside the the oval office and so i was like oh is this gonna be like a cultural phenomenon do i have to go back and watch season two of ted lasso james i gotta tell you and i'm only doing this on the podcast because i don't really like shitting on stuff it is so bad joe it is it is i don't understand like i watched the first season i thought it was it is really really 
bad jokes and bad writing that is rescued by very, very good performances. Agreed. I found the first season of Ted Lasso impossible to dislike, even though I didn't think it was a particularly good or original show. I haven't seen the second season. I haven't seen the third. But I don't understand why people are so obsessed with this show and so obsessed with this character who, let's be honest, was a one-note gag in a commercial for NBC. Yeah, look, I understand why this sort of show is important right now. And, like, you know, there's not a lot of just straight-up happy, uplifting things. I just – to me, it reads like a four-camera sitcom that's just being shot – like it's like like remember the coach? Did you guys remember the show Coach, the sitcom from yeah. the nineties? It, it, it kind of reminds me of that. Just anyway, I, I'm I'm gonna try my best. To, look, sometimes I have to give things a, a more of a chance. So we'll see. Um, I did want to tell you really quickly. I went to Comic Con over the weekend. Uh, not the big one. There's like all these satellite Comic Cons now. It's kind of like World Series of Poker circuit events, I guess. Um, and the company that I am writing the comic book for... Now, I guess you didn't know this. I guess I'll tell everyone this on the podcast. The company that I'm writing the comic book for was at this Comic-Con, and I decided to go with them just to sort of hang out. I spent way too much money. Now, when I heard that you were going, I thought you were going specifically to promote your comic book because the last conversation I'd had with you about this was when you brought some sample copies of the first chapter to EPT London which was last October. So I'm figuring it's been six months. So I imagine it's ready now and they're ready to launch it. They're ready to promote it. And that's why Joe's going to this event. Yeah, no, that's not why. This event was happening with or without me. Sadly, okay, and I guess I'll make this announcement to everybody. Sadly, um, the comic book had been moving quite slowly. James, you saw the first chapter. The artist was doing a great job. Yeah. he was citing some health problems while uh, things were moving slowly and then eventually quit. Um, so we are about, so comic books are done in various stages, right? There's like a sketch stage and then a pencil stage and then an ink stage and then a color stage. And he had gotten through the sketches for about three quarters of it and the pencils for about half of it and the inks for only like the first third or fifth, I should say. So basically, there's a lot of this comic book that that it was kind of left up in the air when this artist quit, and we've had to find someone that could match the original guy's style. That's so hard, right? Very difficult, yeah. I mean, in a way, it's almost easier to fire a director off a movie yeah. and have them pick it up, even though they're going to have slightly different styles. Has it's not there gonna been look, yeah. any consideration to literally starting again, or is that just cost prohibitive i suggested starting again because i was afraid it wasn't going to match and i also suggested uh which a friend of mine told me is like why don't we make write it into the story why there would be a style shift after the first 30 pages right like maybe it's it's someone telling a story and then they snap out of that story and now the comic book looks a little bit different into it and every chapter has a different visual style right exactly and so they ended up just finding someone that that more or less matches but it's been slow it's like a train right like getting the train moving again yeah has been a slow process so uh my comic is probably going to be delayed by almost uh, maybe even a year because i do think the best time to launch it is when we're slow uh on our stuff that we do um, and, and launch it when I can go to Vegas and try to sell it 
during the World Series of Poker. So I'm not sure when it's going to come out now. So but potentially the summer of 2024? Yeah, maybe not. I don't know. That's what I'm thinking now, but I'm not, I'm not a good business person. So maybe these guys will have some ideas. Anyway, I did go to Comic-Con. It was very cool. My first ever Comic-Con. I bought some... Uh, some fun stuff there. I, they had these they had this box of comics you pay $75 for, and it's a mystery box, and you get four mystery comics in it, and I ended up hitting four comics that are all well worth more than what I paid for. Um, but I ran into uh, a, a woman that we work with sometimes named Tracy, who oftentimes helps us get celebs. She's like a you know celebrity poker yes. manager, helps us get celebs like when we do Shark Cage or the Cash Challenge or whatever. And she happened to be there because she was working for Funko. And I don't know if you know what Funko is, James. They do the kind of action big head figures. Those Funko big Pop. headed dolls. And she was like, do you want to go backstage at the Funko booth? Now, Funko booth was massive at Comic-Con. It was a huge, literally a circus tent. Um, and there were 200 people waiting in line to buy the Comic-Con exclusive Funko dolls. She and the Funko people took me right to the front of the line and they were like, what do you want? And I was like, well, and I was fully expecting to buy them. And no, they just gave the shit to me. Wow. And one of them is already selling on eBay because it was a Comic-Con exclusive and they only made 1500 of them. It's already selling on eBay for like 400 bucks. Um I kind of feel like it's rude to get taken backstage and get given a free one and immediately put it up on eBay. Yeah, I'd give but, it a few weeks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it was kind of cool. Um, to, to like, I'm not used to getting that sort of treatment and getting stuff for free. So that that was pretty neat. Who is neat. it a so figure of? Uh, it is Freddie Freddie Funko, dressed as a clown. Uh, I know, I know. You you wouldn't expect it to be like such a big ticket item, but. Um, but yeah, it's just the, the, the Funko guy, but because they only made 1500 of them, you know, all this stuff that's like scarce is yeah. selling for big money these days. Cool. Um, um, I, I, I appreciate that, you know, we don't often get into the weeds when it comes to all of the social media activity of members of the poker community. I, I have noted though, just kind of tr on the outskirts and some of the kind of commentary on other people's comments that Everyone is obsessed right now with how poker Twitter as a genre of social media has descended into hatred and vitriol. But aren't we missing the bigger picture here, which is that Twitter itself is just now a total shit show of a platform. And even though it is the only social media presence I have, I'm not sure how much longer I want to be a part of it. Yeah, look, you're I, I don't look, I, I got a lot to say about this. First of all, my feelings about personally about Elon Musk notwithstanding, obviously I'm not a huge fan, right? So I try not to let that cloud. It is easy to let that cloud. Agreed. The changes, right? Um, but the changes, so far, I agree with you. I'm not having the best time on Twitter. I don't, the, the discourse, if you want to call it that, has gotten worse and worse. The, the blue check mark situation, look, I'm not going to lie. I've fed my ego. Getting the 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 free blue check mark. I liked being a person of note, even though it's not really what it means. Um, I, it's I meant liked to it. verify that yes. somebody is genuinely that person, and I think where it was really important is in highlighting someone who is a source of information. And we know there is a huge problem 
with people getting their news, treating social media as if it's a news feed of fact. Yeah. And at least, at least that helped separate out who was accredited, who was a genuine journalist, who might be someone who knows about the subject, who might be worth listening to. The concept of democratizing journalism is so facile. You don't democratize medicine. You don't say everyone can now do open heart surgery. Yeah. It's a profession. It's a skill. It requires knowledge and expertise. And I don't agree that anyone and everyone should be entitled to report on everything or be a source of information for everything. And that's one of the things that really concerns me about the way this is going. Yes. So that concerns me overall, right? What concerns me on a personal level is as much as I'd like to leave it, it still seems to be, I don't know for how long, but it still seems to be the best way to get a message out there to the most number of people. So when we're doing a live stream, I don't know how I would tell people about my comedy shows if it weren't for Twitter. Yes, I, I do also post on Facebook and Instagram, but Twitter really seems to be the place where I get the most traction. And I'm not sure based on how much it would hurt me to leave the platform. Look, I can get over how much I like it. I love Twitter, right? I, I look at Twitter as a dive bar, as a place that you hang out that's like not really the best for you, but you have fun there. You see your friends there. Yeah, there's other shitty people that you have to deal with sometimes. Yeah, you don't really like the management, but like you still get a little something out of it. It's like the piece of shit that you love, but it's becoming harder and harder and harder. And what I get out of it is becoming less and less and less. I don't think I can fully walk away. I'm hoping I can avoid paying for a blue check mark because I do think it is relatively embarrassing. Oh, there's no way that site's getting any of my money. If I can use it for free, I might continue. But there's no way yeah. I am spending money to use a platform that I have, a, I'm going to say, a love-hate relationship with. But it's very much swinging towards the hate right now. And to continue with your analogy, this dive bar, um, the pipes are broken and it's spewing sewage all over the floor. Plus, I think the curtains are on fire. It might be time to walk out the front door. Yeah, I'll probably go down with the ship, but I will not pay. I, I can't even say I will not pay. I don't know. I honestly don't know. It might be worth it to me just because of the stand-up situation. You don't think that that our the, the company we work for is going to want us to stay on Twitter? Um, That's a good and, question. And what, I, I think that if I were them, I would be like, well, I know for personal reasons you want to get off Twitter, but you still got to get on there and tell people that the Sunday Million is streaming. You got to tell people that du that we're streaming Dublin. I um, Also, and, I, and, I, and I, I genuinely mean this, it is the only way that I can kind of connect with people. I don't have any other social media presence. Right, so right. if people want to ask me a question or want to, you know, if I want to have any kind of true interaction with our audience, with our fans, that's the best place to get in touch with me. And I, that's the, the one thing more than anything that is holding me back is the ability to still be able to have sensible discourse with people who are part of our PokerStars content universe, the PSCU, Joe. Right, our specific thing. James, I think there's only one option. you got to start a TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> and on that bombshell, let's recap the big tournament and big stream that's just gone. I am, of course, referring to the Sunday Million 17th anniversary, which started on Sunday, concluded on Wednesday, and we streamed it. Specifically, we streamed 
the last day, Joe, because there were two days leading up to it. And the man who's joining us now had the experience of playing those two days and more. 16th place finisher, Nick Walks, welcome to the show. Hello, hello. Thank you very much for having me, boys, as usual. Um, Congratulations, Nick. Thank so, you. Nick, I just want to start with the headline stats, and then I want to talk to you about what happened before we joined the action. So, 39,500 entries, prize pool of 7.9 million, exceeding the guarantee, just shy of 6,000 players making the money, 5,927 cashing in this event. And as we've established, the final 44 return for day three. You were one of those 44. Briefly, how were the early stages? Did I hear you say that this was a late reg bullet that you got through on? Yes, it was. So I actually regged at the very start of play um, in on day one, so on the Sunday, um, which got off to a flying start. I really felt like I was playing exceptionally well. Um, towards sort of uh, in, within a f the first couple of hours, I encountered like three pretty horrendous uh, sort of cold decks. I think I went... Uh, boat over boat, and then I went straight over straight, and then I like rivered a straight when the guy rivered a boat, and it just cost me my entire stack, and I was feeling kind of frustrated. So I decided I was going to just uh, give it a break. I thought maybe I'll reg later on, just didn't get round to it. So then we got round to day two, and of course, you can still max late reg yes. uh, up into the start of day two. Uh, you're registering with exactly 10 big blinds, so it was a bit of a punt, but um, wow. I thought, I thought it's a Sunday morning anniversary. I got to jump in, so I decided, you know, okay, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my chances, put my 215 down. And, uh, and yeah, the adventure began. I mean, I'm surprised because you weren't the only one. I remember Monday morning, so effectively kind of eight or nine hours before day two was due to start. Right. I'm looking in the lobby and thinking, wow, this is some way short of enough players to hit the guarantee. And I know that late reg is open until the start of play. I know there are still going to be like satellites running through today, but are we really going to get another 1,000 entries? And then to see... Actually, we got like three and a half thousand extra entries. I'm guessing there were a hell of a lot of sats and a lot of people decided, like you, to take that last minute punt. Yeah, no, absolutely. And actually, what was really funny, too, was I hadn't given it too much thought. I knew I was coming back to 10 big blinds, but I thought, OK, cool. I'm just going to give it a go. Obviously, you guys know I, I know my way around a short stack. That's kind of yeah. what I've always specialized in. So I felt like my edge was was going to be more considerable than other people who are max late regging. But of course, I say edge. There's still so much gamble involved when you start that short. But the cool thing about that was, guys, by the time I had regged and I got my 10 big blinds, um, I was I was texting with uh, with Chris Tregalis, um, who, of course, was monitoring the progress from HQ, um, you know, in terms of players and stuff like that, too. And before I knew it, we were almost in the money, like in the, in the within the first couple hours, because so many people had started with 10 big blinds. We, we lost so many people so quickly. It was like I regged and then I was guaranteed I was guaranteed the min cash. And I was like, this wow. was this has gone really well. This is fantastic. How, <laughs> how many people at your table were like you? Were there other was it just like a sea of people registering with 10 big blinds? Were there did you have as big a stack as did you have anyone covered? I think I think there were two other people, if I remember correctly, who had the 10 big blind starting stack as well as I. But when you're playing a field of such a magnitude, that distribution of players can be so wide, right? There could be like, right. you know, there could be like two on every single table and we'd have we'd have such a huge number in the field being, you know, in the danger zone. And I think that uh, that's basically what happened. So just tried to play my best game and I just tried to get into that min cash, but it came around so quickly. I kind of felt so encouraged by the fact I was already guaranteed the min cash having, you know, put down my, my, my bullet that really, I feel like that gave me the confidence to really push and just like, go, you know, go for max in every situation and really spin up a stack. I mean, somebody said the other day, so you started with 20 K I said, yeah, 20 K was big, was uh, 10 big blinds at the start of the day. 
And then to spin that up to, I think 17 million might've been my peak by the time we got to the, you know, day, day three is pretty amazing. And yeah, I feel, I feel really good about that. Obviously ran very well. Okay. So effectively, as far as this bullet is concerned, as far as this particular Nick Walsh is concerned, your journey began at the start of day two. You say you got into the money relatively quickly. So that's, as I said, around 6,000 players. That's still a huge field to cut through to get down to the final 44. How long was that day two? How long did you play for? So day two was from 6 p.m. start, I believe. Six, I think it was a 6 p.m. start, if I remember correctly. UK time, yep. Yep, UK time, thank you. And we play, I think I finished the day at 3, 3 a.m. So it was a very, very that long slog. Long. Yeah, it's a really, really long one. And obviously, we wanted to get down to you know sub 100 or something like that. I don't know what the target was, but it always feels like that's what we want for day three, especially for coverage, of course, you guys knowing what that's like. And uh, it took forever. It really took ages to get down there. But also... I remember getting to the point where uh, I kept looking at the number of levels and we were going to play 50 levels and I kept looking at it and I go, I kept going, right, this is level 33. We have ages to go yet. And then before I knew it, it was like one level to go to day three. And I thought making day three would be so sick. You know how we talk about people that are sweating, like, you know, the milestones being able to see like, oh, I'm in the money. Like, oh, I got a ladder. Oh, I'm making it to day two. Now I'm bagging for day three. I really felt that, felt that in myself where we were getting to the end of day three and I was really thinking, I just want to make day three really bad. And I started to really slow the action down a little bit. But you, you know, it's, it's, it's an accolade in itself. So few people make it that far. So I was excited about that. How much did your desire, how much was your desire to make day three influenced by knowing you were probably going to get some coverage? Uh, massively. On the live stream. <laughs> no, it, 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 I absolutely had a huge, 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 uh, huge thing in my mind. It was, a, it was definitely affecting my play for sure. It would for me. I def, I would be like, fuck, I have to get on my own show. <laughs> I got to, I, Jesus Christ, I would yeah. do everything I could to no, make it to, to broadcast day. I, I was, I was, but if, if I, if I can show a little bit of, of vulnerability right now, guys, and you, I think you two, you two know this by now as well. Like, my, my journey through poker has been a successful one, but I've done it in a way which is somewhat unconventional in the sense that I focused on sit and goes. And there are no real sit and go champions of the world, right? They're like, they're not celebrated individuals, even though they might be much more successful than even very well known, you know, MTC sure. grinders. So there's kind of this uh, element of glory that I just never really was seeking in my professional career. But now, obviously, being more in the public eye, I come under fire a lot about like, this guy has no results. Who is this person? He's an absolute nobody, right? Well, I can show you infinite results of me completely destroying the games that I play. And I've got lots of, you know, graphs that are very impressive that no one would see because it's not something that's like publicly tracked, like, you know, on shark scope or something like that, or Hended mob is a better example. So really getting some street cred was a, was a big deal for me. And I did really want to show that even though I play a more unconventional form of poker, and that's what I chose to specialize in, I still have some skill that will translate into, you know, MTT results. And that was, that was a big part of making this, uh, this day three for me was just showing face and showing for you guys and yeah i mean hearing james hardigan say my name hearing joe stapleton <laughs> say my name on this stream that i'm always on just felt really good and yeah i think I that mean, went a long way for me. we, we say your name every single time nick because you're sat alongside <laughs> us but i appreciate it in a different, different. context but look i i i i am glad i wasn't in there when you eventually went broke which we'll get to in a second but because i was genuinely look i don't think it's in our industry i don't think it's we're all obviously rooting for certain people, certain stories, right? It's not the same as other sports. Um, and it was, I, but I was rooting for you a little too hard. Like in my heart, like it was, it was like watching my kid 
in a little league game. I was like a little too into wow. it. It was a little too intense. Uncle I cared a Daddy. little too much. Yeah, Uncle Daddy was like real worked up, which is why I was glad I was like making a bowl of soup when you eventually went broke because I would have been I would have been distraught for several minutes. I think. I'm a great believer in accentuating the positive and making the yeah. final two tables and having your career best online result. That's what I want to focus on. But before we get to that, and coming back to the fact that you wanted to be featured on the stream, part of me, the element that is Jimmy the Bastard, really wanted to spite you and basically pick a different table as the feature table because my tweet was not a lie. My immediate reaction when I saw all these people congratulating Nick and kind of railing him on day two and saying, yeah, he's made it to day three. I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake, now I've got to start my work day finding a replacement. <laughs> and unfortunately, Finton stepped in, although it was a little bit weird because Finton is going to be the guest on next week's podcast. We're going to talk about the Irish Open. And you know what it's like when you're on stream with someone for three hours. You shoot the shit. You talk about a lot of different subjects. And we're spending the whole time going, can't talk about Dublin, can't talk about the Irish <laughs> Open. Otherwise, we're going to burn through all the content for next week's podcast. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I sympathize with that for sure, because you, I, I know what it's like, you know, you, you, for those of you for those of you watching who don't do commentary professionally, you know, you, yeah, you do kind of just pick and choose the things that are relevant. And obviously, we're so excited about IPO for so many different reasons. Uh, we're so excited about the events that are going to occur, including, you know, Finton's home game as well, which was which I'm sure you guys will discuss at some point too. So I appreciate that. But also thank you to Finton for stepping in. I also have to give a shout out, though, to our power mod, Tom because he was railing me all the way through the through day two and he was really excited obviously on a different time zone much easier for him to follow along with me till 3 a.m yeah and um well, we got to the end of day day two and he went oh man you are just pathetic anything to get out of doing commentary my man anything <laughs> at all and i went you're absolutely right that would be very sweet but i still did commentary anyway so there you go you know I, well, I, that's you, the thing we were gonna make sure we got our pound of flesh out of you exactly. whatever happened <laughs> how much of that million dollars did you have spent in your head by the time you went out in 16th place. Well, I'm, I'm going to say something, Joe, and I think it might piss off a lot of people, but I, I really mean this. And I mean what I say when I say this. I, I, I really I really like my life. I really enjoy... I, I feel like I'm very, very privileged, so it's easy for yeah. me to say this. And I feel like I feel like I've been very lucky in life to to have to have um, you know the right start in life, and I've had the, the support of my of my, of my family in um, really big ways financially, and also you know um, you know just like emotionally too, of course, as you'd expect. But I, I have a really nice life here in Brighton. And I really, really enjoy where I live. And I really enjoy the people I hang out with. And I kind of enjoy the stuff that I do, which is usually relatively inexpensive, apart from when I'm at the bar buying everybody a Jagerbomb, which seems to be my, 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 real, uh, my real weakness. My real vice is you know, buying other things for other people. But uh, the million for me, like, I'm not sure if it would change me too much. I'm not sure if it would change my life too much because I don't think there's that much more that I want for, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Sure. I, I really... Well, I really I'm disappointed because I was spending it some of it for you in my <laughs> head. I was like, I'm really going to run up Nick's bar tab the next time we hang well, out. E exactly. And I mean, y Joe, you know... You, you've sorted me out before, Joe. So I think I think that's per perfectly reasonable. Let me give you an example of something I might do with that million. I might buy myself a plane ticket to go visit my my my, my good friend Joe, and then buy him loads of drinks in L.A., which I'm ah. sure might be you know similarly priced. But you know, nice uh, that, nice. that, that, that kind of thing. That's you know, I, I think that's sure. that's really really where I'm at with the, with the whole you know million dollar score situation. So having finished in the early hours of Tuesday morning, and then coming back Tuesday evening to play day three. How were you mentally and physically? I guess the fact that you had, I mean, because we were tagged on the tweets, so I saw them all. I'm guessing the fact you had so many messages of support. I guess the fact that you had, you know, the, the Pokestars brand behind you, the live stream audience, your own fan base, 
that kind of helps, even if you are maybe feeling a little bit lightheaded from the day before. No, 100%. I was feeling quite tired uh, when I woke up, but I knew what I wanted to accomplish. And I knew kind of like the, the zone that I wanted to get into. So I went for a walk. Uh, I walked around along, along Brighton Seafront, which was which is just a really good way to start the day. I did some breath work. I did some sort of Wim Hof method breathing. Uh, I did some meditation, which is something I've been trying to do a lot more of. And between the breath work and the meditation and like just this constant wave of positivity coming from the community, I honestly felt like the best I felt in, in, in ages. I felt like such a buzz, but it was a very calm buzz. I really felt like I wasn't getting too overexcited. And those of you that play a lot of poker know that, you know, having some tension is good, but being too overexcited, you know, you tend to overplay things, you overthink situations, you level yourself. So going into the day, I really felt like ultra confident. I wasn't nervous at all. Obviously having 10 K locked up when I obviously was sun running you know, from a 10 big blind stack feels really good too. So you're not really sweating, you know, the, uh, the pay jumps, um, immediately, even though they do get very, very big, very quickly. So going into the day, I felt really good. Uh, but on top of that as well, apart from my experience playing poker, you know, obviously focusing more on sit and goes, uh, doing more work with you guys and doing more commentary at like, you know, the highest level for EPT and for, you know, really, really, uh, incredible players for WCUP and scoop being able to somewhat, I would say like, you know, 85%, 90% accurately call the action in those situations gives me so much more confidence going into an MTT like this, that, you know, you pretty much got the gist of these situations and you're not going to make any big mistakes. So all the spots that that I saw just felt like they was very natural. And like I said on stream, it was great to hear Finton agree with the majority of the decisions that I was making. He's much more accomplished MTT player than I am for sure. So yeah, I felt I felt really good and I didn't really feel nervous at all. But also again, a big shout out to the people that supported me because my inbox was just a bomb, a bomb of positivity and just everyone reaching out. It was very cool. So let's look at that third and final day from both perspectives, right? And Joe, for me, I was actually quite excited to be back in the PokerStars arena and streaming an online event again. The, the, the novelty had become real because it's been a while. Uh, tail end of last year. Since then, obviously, Nick, you've taken over hosting duties of the regular Sunday Million streams. We haven't done it for a while. And I think that break did me the world of good because I approached it with a genuine, completely unforced enthusiasm. <laughs> yeah, there, I mean, there was definitely that for me, but also, obviously, it being a special event with a bigger prize yes. than usual, you know, adds a little bit of gusto to it. But I, it did have me thinking, which was, if we could do this one week, maybe we could have 35,000 people play it every week. I don't think you understand the number of satellites that had to run over an extended period of time. Flip a switch. Let's go. Flip. How hard can it be? Flip the satellite I switch. Mean, turn them on. Uh, spoiler alert. We are going to be talking in future weeks about what it takes to put together the PokerStars MTT schedule. So Fuck I'm yeah. sure it will be explained to you, Joe, how liquidity works and why there might be some blockers, and I don't believe in blockers, to what you're proposing. Um the first 90 minutes, Nick, and I'm yeah. interested how it felt for you, because it was almost PKO-like. It was super fast. It took 90 minutes, actually, to get down to the final nine. So I'm guessing it was closer to 75 minutes for you. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, so going into day two, I knew that the average stack was already really low. And that actually gave me a lot of confidence as well, because, of course, I know how to navigate these ultra short stacks uh, much better than a lot of the guys that had made it. Um, one of the things I did do going into to, to day three was uh, I shark scoped all the individuals that I was playing against. And I tried to give my best guess at where I thought they were skill wise. Right. So 
what people see me do on my stream a lot of the time is basically I'll indicate whether or not I think that they are a reg or they're doing things that are you know more GTO based. And then if they're doing things that are really wild that that are unexpected, you can kind of put them into two lumpy sort of categories, two big chunks of I can expect this guy to make the kind of plays that I would make. And I can expect this guy to do a bunch of stuff I'm not expecting and also probably not respect the kinds of things that I want to do to them. So I did that ahead of time. And I had an idea that the table that I was at was actually going to be a pretty good one for me. And then, of course, as soon as day three started, I got shuffled onto the table where they were all marked as regs. And I was like, OK, great. This isn't this isn't uh, this isn't a great spot for me after all. There was definitely one non-reg at your table. I don't remember who it was. I think was it, it might have been. Was, was it Grimble? Remember our friend Grimble? Not Grimble. I'm sorry. Just based on the style of play. Now, we did look up Grimble eventually and realize Grimble wasn't exactly a reg either. It was someone was sitting two to the left of Grimble who was like Are opening. Are we talking about the lag maniac? Was it Crescent? Crescent at Uendo. Thank you, Patrick. Like yeah. Yeah. Uh, who was like opening Jack 4 under the gun. And that we thought they were doing it for the memes, and then it turned out, nah, they were just kind of a maniac. Yeah, no, and that, that was actually one of the things that I didn't sort of catch on to until a little bit later on. By the time the by the time the the stream had come around, some of that information would have been better, you know, ahead of time. And obviously, I might have made some decisions differently, but probably Hence not a lot. Hence the fucking delay, Nick. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> if only you got, if only I could have seen the cards, I would have definitely known what to do. No, but <laughs> it, it was it was something that yeah, that, that was something I would have liked to have known. But generally speaking, the ninety minutes for me were, were were fine. I feel like I played very well on that last day, James. Going back to kind of what you were saying. Uh, but it was that that pocket tens. I think it was like four hands in. I got tens in against ace queen right off the yes. bat. That was a serious sweat. And obviously, seeing how wide that guy was, you know, was shoving and was you know making aggressive lines. Um, for him to wake up with a hand as strong as that, and for me to be flipping for my tournament life that early and actually winning that was already huge. And then of course we immediately went into king queen getting wrecked by sevens, and then straight into queens getting wrecked by king jack. You know, I, it hurt really bad. But then I feel like I did a, a really good job too sort of uh, stick it out and find some insane ladders with, you know, sub 10 big blinds or whatever it was. And that is the key, is the moment you were wounded by those two brutal yeah. hands, you realized that your best course of action was to just wait. And with the money jumps happening with every table breaking, I mean, you managed to ladder up, I want to say two, three, maybe even four times, making it yeah. to the final two tables. Yeah, I think if uh, if I remember correctly, Statric might have mentioned that since the start of day three, I laddered seventeen thousand dollars, which which when you realize what a big hit I took at the start, I think is really really good, and I feel like yeah, I feel like I picked and I picked my moments really really well, and I'm I'm very proud of the way that I performed. And you guys know that you know I play spins. There's no ICM. We're just winner take all. Just go for it, whatever. Yep. For, to to actually have the presence of mind to try and pick those spots a little bit more carefully, um, I think was was a great experience for me, and actually something that I'll carry with me moving forward when I'm going to play more of these tournaments and being more aware of how the ICM implications can really have big, uh, you know, big consequences for your bottom line. Yeah. So if it took 90 minutes to get from 44 players to nine, it then took a little bit longer to get from nine to a winner. I mean, it wasn't a super long final table, but we played nine handed for a significant period of time. I know you then joined the stream in your capacity as a commentator a bit later on, Nick, where we're a little bit shorter handed. But the key story at the start of that final table is we had four out of nine players from Brazil. No real surprise. It's a common narrative thread on the Sunday Million. But also we had seen or were starting to see the dominance 
of Rofflecopter88 from Denmark, who it's worth highlighting when we were at the last two tables was down to two big blinds. And a lot of people watching on YouTube, watching on Twitch, were citing the Bendinelli factor, the idea of coming back from a chip and a chair to then have a stranglehold over the final table. And I think the point you came in, Rofflecopter88 had such a huge percentage of the chips in play. Yeah, no, that was really cool to follow. And I was following with the action along with the action after I busted. I was mostly sitting there in disbelief that I had busted on that flip, but I was still following the action regardless. And he just did such a great job of spinning it up. But also once he acquired the chips, he did seem to very, very quickly snowball and he seemed to know what he was doing once he had the chips in hand, which I thought was very impressive. Yeah. Um, so let's fast forward to heads up where it looked like it was going to be over in what, two or three hands? But then yep. there was that miracle king on the river that saved RFN 1986. But still, for the majority of the heads-up battle, RFN was at a significant chip, chip disadvantage. At the point that RFN started to close the gap, that's when we saw Rufflecopter ask the question, deal? And after a short delay, the response, no, I would rather play. <laughs> and I'm guessing that Rufflecopter is kind of, well, look, 723 grand was second place. I'm sure Rufflecopter is not too sad about that. But we did then see the switcheroo. And it's weird, even though Rufflecopter still had chips to play with, Nick, you kind of felt that from the moment that RFN took the chip lead, it was just a matter of time. You kind of felt that RFN had been getting the better of their opponent in a lot of spots, and now they had that chip lead, it was going to get closed out relatively quickly. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, I feel like I mentioned it on stream when it happened, but after that king deuce for versus pocket nine's hand, he took that beat, you know, basically for the for the win, right? It was for the win, in fact. He was yeah. miles in front. I really felt like there was a change in momentum, and Rafflecopter, who had just been this force, this rolling stone that was just heading downhill, all of a sudden was halted. And at that point, the action just kind of changed. Like I can't put my finger on exactly what it was. I don't know if players became more passive, or Rafflecopter became more passive, or maybe RFN became more aggressive. But you could really feel um, the mojo shift over into RFN's uh, favor. And all of a sudden, you know, there was there were mistakes, and you know, there were some really big calls going wrong, and a couple setups that uh, ended up. Uh, ultimately costing him the tournament. Yeah, so RFN 1986, champion of the Sunday Million 17th anniversary for the advertised first prize of $1 million. And Nick, to conclude your own personal story, 16th place finish, just over 26 grand. So what happens now? Are we going to see you playing more MTTs? Are we going to see you move <laughs> away from the spins? No, I've actually had this question all day today. I was just on stream, of course, guys. I Straight back yeah. to work, you know, no, no, no days off. Um, you love it. I, 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 I still love spins. Um, I feel like um, one of the objectives that, that I had at the start of this year was to play more MTTs, which is still my objective, but I don't think it's increased by the fact that I've had this win. Um, somebody also asked me, if you won a million dollars, would you take a few days off or would you stop streaming? The answer is no. I would I would, I would have shown up today and I would have played $10, $25 spinning goes and hung out with my, with my community just the same. It wouldn't have changed anything at all for me. It really would have continued to do my thing with these guys just because I really enjoy the community. I enjoy, the, I enjoy spending time with uh, the people that watch my stream day in and day out. So no, it won't, it's not going to change anything for me, but I will be playing more MTTs, but that was always part of my objective at the start of this year. So hopefully some more big scores. We'll see how it goes, guys.
That's the difference between me and Nick is that I would also be at work the next day, but that would be because I've already lost all the money. (laughs) (laughs) We laugh because it's funny. We laugh because it's true. (laughs) So obviously, Nick, you've got your regular streams that you're doing on the Pokestars Twitch channel. I know you've got the Sunday Million coming around again on Monday. I think Griffin's joining you for that broadcast. And then, even though we'll talk more in detail about the Irish Open on next week's podcast. You are obviously going to be part of the stream team for that. You're coming with us to Dublin and you get to work on the, what was the line I came up with last night? I think it's true. The longest running No Limit Hold'em tournament in Europe. Correct. That's actually on their website as well. I looked at it today. I'm really looking forward to IPO. I think it's going to be an amazing event. The number of actual people known people that we know friends and family and you know po- uh, podcasters and influencers and just people that we've met along the way that are going to be there is really really overwhelming and i think it's just going to be an absolutely massive party if you guys haven't already qualified for ipo go do it now and then hang out with the whole crew because we, we're going to have pretty much everybody there yeah well obviously uh we will see you in the flesh in dublin next week but uh, congratulations once again nick phenomenal result and uh Thank you for letting us watch you play, joining us after you bust for commentary, and then agreeing to be interviewed for the podcast today. No problem. Next time I win the million, guys, uh, watch this space. Last but by no means least on this week's show, it is our Superfan segment. And for that, we are going to need a Superfan. So we say hello to Andre Nazar. Hello, Andre. Hello, both. Nice to be here. What's going on, Andre? What's your deal, bro? Uh, well, it took me a little while uh, to get to grips with Discord. Otherwise, I would have been here a long time, <laughs> long time ago. You know what? I don't want to say this as I don't want to d- deter people from joining the Discord, but it took me a while to to figure out Discord either. Also, and I'm I'm pretty sure I just have the absolute basics down. Yeah, no, definitely. And then, um, yeah, took a, took a little while, and I thought it's about time I um, yeah put myself forward. So pr- pretty nervous, though, surprisingly. I, I didn't expect to be so nervous coming on. No need to be nervous. I'm glad you dipped your toe into the Discord waters, and I'm hopefully you didn't get bitten by any piranhas. You're not drowning in the water. Once you're into it, it's fine. And, and yeah. I think Joe's not wrong. Obviously, it is a platform with a lot of capability, but if you just want to use it for the stuff you want to use it for, it's fine. Yeah, no, definitely. So when you're not struggling with new technologies, Andre, what do you do? Yeah, guessing you're not an IT guy. (laughs) No, um, well, no, I'm not an IT guy. I'm actually a project manager for intelligent transport systems, which is a a fancy way of yeah basically traffic signals and all the new stuff that's going on andre if you're not busy right now can you please take a look at the ones with one way system <laughs> i'll give it a go i don't think we uh we cover that region but uh what what region do you cover like what are you allowed to say uh yeah so it's uh buckinghamshire essentially um sort of just out out of london so right. that Highwood, Camelsbury. And, um, and do people do what James just did to you? Like you'll be at like a party or something and people will be like, oh, can you just tell me what's going on around the corner? Like what's the deal over the there? Time, all the time. Potholes, you name it. You know, asking me if they if they flash their um, if they flash their lights at the traffic light, does it make it go green quicker? 
Oh my I can. I seriously. I've. I. If I had known this, I would have prepared 40, 50 questions for you. I would have been. I, there's so much shit I want to know. All right. Wait. One question that maybe you know the answer to or not. If you are in a helicopter, can you see like why traffic is like stopping and going and like what like see how the patterns work? Do you not know that um, one? In a helicopter, <laughs> I'm not sure. We 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 basically use a, a modeling tool. Um, it's all teched up now, so okay. Um, There's an algorithm. You could, yeah, you could you could pretty much you would be able to see what's going on, um, but the sort of details and the reasoning probably not. It's all. Yeah, just on done on systems now. So um yeah, you play around and it's yeah, it's very very techy. So That's do you cool. live in Buckinghamshire, Andre? I do now, yeah. Right. So do you get into the London area at all to play any poker? Um I do go into London. Um I, I drive quite a bit now, so that that's why I'm always um He's you got know, a remote in his car. He can just change the, <laughs> the lights. <laughs> no, I, I, I uh, listen to you guys to keep me company on my long drives, but um, I, I haven't been able to go in and play some real poker. I, I usually have three-month cycles where I um, play a bit of online poker and poker stars. You know, I'm talking $3 tournaments. I win, win a few tournaments here and there and then get a little bit brave call up the uh the guys and, and set up a real life game and get absolutely nice. smashed so um fantastic to online so yeah well we're gonna let you we'll give you the opportunity i should say to play above a three dollar buy-in because obviously there is a 109 dollar sunday million ticket up for grabs in this game themed around a movie now you suggested a number of super fan subject options we settled on the movie the founder and i'm glad we did because i saw this a few years ago and i thought it was excellent and i think it's a movie that kind of flies under the radar and is a little bit underrated definitely yeah, i really enjoyed it actually yeah i think uh, i watched it about a month ago i didn't get a chance to revisit it um but yeah really interesting it, it got me i read his um his book as well, well, audio book anyway, um, Ray Kroc and, uh, yeah. yeah, really, really interesting stuff. So, yeah. Uh, I absolutely love this movie. I was gripped from start to finish. It kind of felt like almost like the fast food version of Zodiac. Um, oh, that's a really good analogy. I like yeah. that. It was like really, and you know, you start off feeling one way about Ray Kroc. You end up feeling a totally different way by the end of the movie. Um, you're like almost, you know, rooting for him for a while. And then slowly you you stop and all of the characters in it were really well played. Nick Offerman was great. Um, uh, what's his name? David Car John Carroll Lynch. Uh, really great in it. Uh, and also, I love McDonald's. Um, yeah. I, you know, so that all of it, all of it really came together in a big way for me. And I feel bad for you, Andre, because I'm I'm. I only watched it two days ago, and I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna be pretty good at this. Yeah, oh, really. Here's the problem, Andre. You haven't had a chance to rewatch the movie. Now, Joe's watched it in the last 48 hours. Patrick has watched it very recently in order to compile this quiz. Yeah. So, I hope your memory is good. You do have the slight advantage of going first, so you get to pick the first question on the board. I need a number between one and ten. Um, I was going to go for odd, but I'm going to go for a six, the lucky number. My lucky okay, number. your lucky All number. Right. Uh, question number six is, how much money does Ray pay to buy the brother's share of McDonald's? Um, I think he pays them 
2.7 million before tax. You nailed it. $2.7 million is nice. the answer. So you get the full two points. Didn't need to take the options. Joe, would you have known that? Yes, without the options, definitely. Okay, so this could be exciting. Uh, you can have any number other than six, Joe. I'll always come seven. Okay, which actor plays Dick McDonald? Dick McDonald is played by Nick Offerman. For two points, and we move into the second round. Six, seven off the board. Any other number still available, Andre? Uh, let's go for 10. What is the name of Ray's first wife? Ooh, that's a tough one. That's the second. Um, I'm going to go for the options, please. Okay. Is her name Bridget, Joan, Ethel, or Florence? It's Ethel. It is Ethel for a single point. You have a 3-2 lead. Joe, if you can get maximum points on your next question, you can take the lead. Uh, 6, 7, and 10 have gone. I'm going to go with my lucky number, which is Andre's lucky number, upside down. Number nine, please. What's the name of the man who Ray gets to look over the company's finances? The name of the man that Ray gets to look over the company's finances. I remember who played him. I remember the company he worked for at the time. I don't remember the guy's name, so I'll have to take the choices. Okay, is it Rolly Smith, Leonard Rosenblatt, Harry Sonnenborn, or Randall Taylor? Harry Sonnenborn. For a point. Tied game as we go into the next round. All the early questions still available, plus number eight. Uh, I'll go for four, please. Number four. What was Ray selling to McDonald's that originally got him in contact with the McDonald brothers? Um, milkshake, uh, ice cream milkshake machines. Milkshake machines is what's written down here. I will give you the two points. Yeah, that's that's it. Joe, one, two, three, five, or eight. Uh, snowmen's num num. In what year was the film released? 2016. Correct for two points. Woo! Still a tied game as we go into the penultimate round. Choose carefully, Andre. One, two, three, or five. Gosh, um, I'll go for two. Question number two. In which city did Ray first visit a McDonald's restaurant? Oh, um, oh, I don't know. I'm glad Andre got this one because I would have nailed it for two points. So he's still got a shot to, to basically steal these from me. Multiple choice options are available. Um, I'm going to try and go for it. I think it's this one. I hope it... Uh, was it this San Bernardino? It was San Bernardino. Yeah. You get the two yeah, points. Yeah, Nice. Nice. Okay, Joe, your penultimate question. One, three, or five? Uh, I never pick five. I'll take five. Where did the McDonald's brothers and their employees chalk out layouts for their efficient food preparations? A tennis court. For two points. Still a tied game. It comes down to the final round. Questions one and three are still available. Oh, um, I'll go for three. Who directed the film? Oh, um, Mike Ray. No, no, um. Gosh, I'll go for choices. 
The options are John Lee Hancock, Morgan Spurlock, David Fincher, or Danny Boyle. Hancock. Hancock for a point. I would so, have to take the choices on that one too, Andre. Are you okay. <laughs> so here's the thing, Joe. If you can get this question without taking the options, you win the game. Yeah. What was the name of the first McDonald's mascot? I actually don't know. I actually need the choices. Okay. Is it Ronald McDonald, Speedy, Hammy, or Chef Ray? It must be Speedy. It is Speedy for a point. So at the end of the main quiz, we have eight points for Andre, eight points for Joe. That means we go to the tiebreaker. Oh, man. We haven't needed a tiebreaker in a minute. <laughs> okay. So it is a numerical answer. I'm going to read the question, Andre. You can elect to either take a stab at it or you can get Joe to take a stab at it and then you decide whether you're going to go higher or lower than his answer. Does that make sense? Okay, yeah. So the question is, as of February 2023, how many McDonald's restaurants are there globally? Wow! Oh, the, the thing is, I actually, I actually saw this figure. Um, earlier today and it's just slipped my mind um you can get joe to take a stab at it and then you can decide whether you want to go higher or lower i think i'll go for that joe how many mcdonald's restaurants are there globally as of february 2023 uh 27,000. joe says 27,000. do you think more or fewer than 27,000. Um, uh, uh, just like Bruce Forsyth, play your cards right. Higher or lower than 27,000? I'm gonna go for lower. Hope it's not on you. Yeah. The I actual answer is 40,275. <laughs> you are wrong to go lower. I'm sorry, Andre, you do lose on the tiebreaker, but. There are no real losers here, because even though I can't give you the Sunday Million ticket, we can make sure you get some delightful Poker in the Ears merch. Great, that will do, yeah. Fantastic. And thank you for suggesting that movie. I'm sure, Joe, you're very grateful, because you might not have seen it otherwise. I, I was, It was on my list, so it was easy to... I, you can tell when I don't want to watch the movie, because I watched it the night before the show, but this one on Monday night, I was like, ooh, let's watch The Founder. So uh, thank you, Andre. <laughs> Sorry to end up with a ticket, but I did enjoy the movie quite a bit. And no, thank you very much for coming on the show. Brilliant. Thank you very much, guys. Appreciate that. All right, my babies. That's just about all the time we have got for this week's show. Coming up next time, it is our Irish Poker Open preview show. Our first one. Our first Irish Poker Open preview show. It's true. Going somewhere and, different. I mean, I say different. We've been to Dublin before with the EPT, and I think I mentioned that I went to the Irish Open in 2012. But it's a new event for us to do the live stream from. Let's look at it that way. New, and it's been a while since we've been to Dublin. So It's true. Uh, let me tell you, I think this whole event's going to be a lot of fun and more fun than usual. Hint, hint. I might have a fun announcement to make on the next show. One that James actually doesn't know anything about for once. Why do I not know about this? Uh, I don't know. I don't know why you don't know. I don't but, like well, it because when I, people I specifically talk to you about kept stuff it from you. That's why. Not telling me. I don't. I don't. This is <laughs> not right. This is. This is. This is some more Freaky Friday shit, and I'm not having it. 
Oh, that's true. Anyway, who better to be our guest than Finton Hand, a former Irish Poker Open finalist who lives just around the corner from where the tournament is being played. Finton will be with us next week. Next week's super fan is supposed to be the party down super fan. But what's going on, James? Uh, they're not responding to my DMs on Discord. Uh, now, look, you heard Andre. Discord's nothing to be scared of. If he can use it, you can. Um, the key thing is, don't apply to be on the show and then ghost me. Because that makes me very, very unhappy. So if you apply in a public channel on our PokerStars Discord server, link in the description below, you are going to get a DM from me. So you need to be looking out for that. And you certainly need to make sure your account isn't blocking DMs from people. But yes, hopefully that individual who said that they would do Party Down is down to be on next week's show and gets back to me in the next few days. Otherwise, I'm moving on and I'm booking in someone else. All right. Irish Open Preview Show. Surprise, possibly, for uh, for the podcast. Uh, Fint in hand. Hopefully Party Down. That is all the time we have got for this week's show. Until next time, for James Hardigan, I am Joe Stapleton, and smell you later. Later.